Hello and welcome back to the Rewatch Rewind, the podcast where I count down my top 40 most rewatched movies over a 20-year period. My name is Jane, and today I will be discussing number 30 on my list, 20th Century Fox's 1952 science fiction comedy Monkey Business, directed by Howard Hawks, written by Ben Hecht, Charles Lederer, and IAL Diamond, and starring Cary Grant, Ginger Rogers, Charles Coburn, and Marilyn Monroe. Dr. Barnaby Fulton, Cary Grant, is a chemist developing a formula to reverse some of the symptoms of aging. His boss, Mr. Oxley, Charles Coburn, believes this could become a fountain of youth drug, but Barnaby is more realistic and merely hopes it could cure his bursitis. He's been experimenting on chimpanzees, but decides to try the newest version on himself, and soon after begins behaving like a frivolous college boy. However, unbeknownst to Barnaby, or anybody else, one of his chimpanzees has mixed a separate formula and poured it into his water cooler, so it's actually the drink of water he used to wash down his formula that he's reacting to. After a wild day, much of which he spends with Oxley's sexy secretary Miss Laurel, Marilyn Monroe, the formula finally wears off and Barnaby is back to his more mature self. He's eager to try it again, but after hearing about his day, his wife Edwina, Ginger Rogers, drinks his second dose before he has a chance to, and, crucially, also takes a drink of tainted water. And hijinks continue to ensue. The first time I saw this movie was when it happened to come on TV. It must have been summertime because my sister was away at camp, and I distinctly remember writing her a postcard about how I had just watched the funniest movie ever. Thus began a phase when I was kind of obsessed with this movie. I watched it three times in 2003, three times in 2004, and twice in 2005. Then I got a little tired of it and took a break, but I returned to it in 2009, and again in 2010, then twice in 2012, and then once each in 2014, 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2022. There are certain things about this movie that really bother me, which is why I don't rewatch it as frequently anymore, but there are also things about it that I absolutely love, so I don't think I will ever abandon monkey business completely. This is the second appearance of both Cary Grant and Ginger Rogers on this podcast, so I've already mentioned that they're two of my faves. To people who have vaguely heard of them, a movie like this might sound out of character for these stars. Cary Grant seems to generally be remembered as a debonair leading man, and Ginger Rogers is generally remembered as Fred Astaire's frequent dance partner. While those aren't exactly inaccurate perceptions, they are definitely incomplete. People don't talk nearly enough about how funny both of them were. Like, no offense to the writers, but with the wrong stars, this movie could have been absolute garbage. I mean, I think we can all agree that the story is completely ridiculous. But Grant and Rogers were both comedic geniuses, and basically the only reason I keep revisiting this movie is because of how fun they are to watch in it. By 1952, they were both at least two decades into their film careers, and while they did sometimes play serious dramatic roles, much of their work was in comedy, so they'd had plenty of time to hone their comedic skills, and it shows. I love that Monkey Business gives them so many opportunities to show off different facets of their comedic talents. The silly tone of the movie is set at the beginning of the opening credits, which Grant keeps interrupting by opening the door, and we hear director Howard Hawks' voice off-screen saying, Not yet, Carrie. Then in the first scene, Barnaby and Edwina are at home preparing to go out for the evening, but Barnaby is distracted thinking about the formula and keeps failing at getting ready properly until Edwina gives up. They both have such perfect timing and excellent chemistry that this dynamic feels entirely believable and natural and is also incredibly funny. 
The first time Barnaby takes the formula, Edwina isn't around, so we get to see Carrie being a goofball by himself, and then with Marilyn Monroe as his straight man. But then Edwina takes the formula, and it's Ginger's turn to be silly, and Carrie's turn as the straight man. And then later, both Barnaby and Edwina drink a bunch of coffee in his office, using the water from the cooler, so they both start acting like children, which means they get to act goofy together for a bit. These changing dynamics are all handled flawlessly. Even when they're under the influence of the formula and acting silly, they're still somehow believable. While I'm not convinced that feeling younger would really make people behave quite the way they do, the actors sell it so well that it's easy to just accept it. The aspect of their behavior that I have the hardest time accepting is that while under the influence of the formula, both Barnaby and Edwina seem to have the instinct to cheat on each other in ways consistent with stereotypes about their respective sexes. Younger man Barnaby finds himself drawn to sexy Miss Laurel. I know I mentioned in a previous episode that as an asexual, I don't really understand what sexy means, but there seems to be a general consensus that Marilyn Monroe was it. Her character is a fairly basic ditzy blonde who was clearly hired for her looks and not her secretarial skills and isn't particularly interesting, although she does get to say one of the funniest lines in the movie. Mr. Oxley's been complaining about my punctuation, so I'm careful to get here before nine. The first time Barnaby takes the formula, he leaves work in the middle of the day, so Miss Laurel is sent to find him, and they end up going out on an extended date. At one point, Miss Laurel kisses him on the cheek, but then he mentions his wife and she backs off disappointedly. So it's relatively innocent cheating, if it can even be considered cheating at all, but that doesn't stop Edwina from getting jealous, a feeling that is significantly heightened when she takes the formula, to the point that she tries to start a fight with Miss Laurel. Then, younger Edwina seems to think she and Barnaby are on their honeymoon, but they end up having a weird fight that doesn't really make any sense and she locks him out of their hotel room, at which point she calls their lawyer, Hank Entwistle, played by Hugh Marlowe, who, it was revealed in their fight, kissed Edwina once, presumably years ago. We don't get to see exactly what happens next, but the following morning, Hank seems to think Barnaby is physically abusive based on what Edwina told him. So to summarize, men who feel young want to go out with pretty women, and women who feel young want to pick fights with their husbands and turn to a friend-zoned man waiting in the wings. And this is reiterated when they take the formula again and act like actual children instead of young adults. Even then, Barnaby is drawn to Miss Laurel and Edwina is jealous of them, and after a fight with Barnaby, Edwina calls on Hank again. I'm not going to claim the way they portray this isn't funny, because it is, but I don't love that message, and that's part of why I don't love this movie as much as I used to anymore. There are a few scenes between normal Barnaby and Edwina where they talk things out that I think are actually pretty good, and it seems like they're trying to show that a certain level of maturity is necessary for a healthy long-term relationship, which I think does make the message better, albeit amatonormative. I still think they could have made that point without being quite so sexist about it. Although it was 1952, so maybe they couldn't have. There is also some blatant racism in this movie that I realize was common for the time, but that doesn't make it okay. Child Barnaby overhears child Edwina calling Hank to come over, so he grabs a pair of pruning shears and rallies a group of all-white neighbor children playing cowboys and Indians to help him tie up and scalp Hank when he arrives. One of the kids informs Barnaby that they have to do a war dance first and sing, so Barnaby organizes the kids into an Indian choir of sorts, and listeners, it is so painfully bad. On the one hand, from a historical perspective, it's interesting to see how white American kids used to play in that era, but on the other hand, it's just... no. I get that it's supposed to be silly, 
but there are so many ways to be silly that don't involve mocking Native Americans. A less serious complaint I have about that part is the next time we see Hank after he's been tied up. Part of his head has been shaved all the way to the skin, and there is no way the clippers Barnaby had could have cut anywhere near that close. And while I can easily suspend disbelief enough to accept a chimpanzee unlocking the secret of youth with a mixture of random chemicals, asking me to believe that pruning shears could shave a man's head that closely is going way too far. I also had a know-it-all phase when it bothered me that people often refer to chimpanzees as monkeys when they're actually apes, but now I'm more in the all words are made up to begin with and classifications of animals are especially made up so who cares camp. I guess that's one way I can tell I've grown up and matured since the first time I watched this movie, without trying to use the ability to maintain healthy romantic relationships as a metric. But the more I learn about how animals, particularly apes, have historically been treated by the entertainment industry, the less I can enjoy seeing them in older movies. I haven't heard any specific stories about monkey business in particular, but I doubt the chimps featured in it had very good lives, and that is yet another thing that makes it harder to enjoy this movie. But despite all its problematic aspects and its relentless amatonormativity, overall, I do think monkey business has a pretty good message about our society's obsession with trying to stay young. After he and Edwina have both tried the formula, Barnaby has this to say about youth. We remember it as a time of nightingales and valentines, but what are the facts? Maladjustment, near idiocy, and a series of low comedy disasters. That's what youth is. I don't see how anyone survives it. And in the final scene, Barnaby concludes, you're old only when you forget you're young. The movie points out the importance of learning from experience to keep people from acting like fools who don't understand consequences their whole lives. But it also shows that you can embrace getting older without completely abandoning the youthful joy that people and things you love brought you when you were younger. So the way I feel about this movie is remarkably consistent with its message. As I've grown and matured and learned more about the world, I've become more aware of its negative aspects, but that doesn't negate the delight it brought me when I was younger. And having some problematic elements doesn't make the movie all bad. Monkey Business reveals that life is more complicated than we think it is when we're young, and youth is more complicated than we think it is when we're old. Basically, life is messy, and there are no quick fixes, so let's stop wasting time seeking perpetual youth and instead make the most of the life we have. This does feel like a bit of a hypocritical message coming from Hollywood, which is famous for its obsession with youth and beauty. I do appreciate that this movie's two main stars were both in their 40s, positively ancient by Hollywood standards, at least for an actress. In fact, at 41 years old, possibly only 40 at the time of filming, Rogers was the oldest leading lady to ever star in a Howard Hawks movie, which is incredibly upsetting. Grant would continue to play leading men for over another decade, and by this point in his career he'd already begun starring opposite women who were closer to Marilyn Monroe's age than to his own. He was 22 years older than her. So it's a bit refreshing to see him mostly paired with Rogers, who was only seven years younger than him, with his attraction to Monroe portrayed as youthful infatuation that we're not really supposed to take seriously. Marilyn Monroe herself perfectly embodied Hollywood's ideal of youthful glamour, and it literally destroyed her well before she could make it to her 40s, so her presence in this movie really draws attention to the hypocrisy of its message. It would be great if the entertainment industry would actually take the movie's advice and value age and experience rather than constantly worshipping and thereby often ruining youthful beauty, but as is so often the case, Hollywood released a movie with a decent message and then proceeded to ignore it.
Thank you for listening to my conflicted thoughts and feelings about this movie. I truly don't know if anything I said made any sense to those of you who haven't watched it, which I assume is most people, but I greatly appreciate you sticking with me anyway. Remember to subscribe or follow if you want to hear more, and rate or leave a review to let me know how you've been enjoying this podcast so far. Next week, I will talk about the third and longest movie I watched 17 times, which is another fun, silly, obscure, older movie, so I hope you're enjoying these. And if you're not, I hope you will continue listening anyway. I promise there are more recent and more well-known films coming up, too. As always, I will leave you with a quote from the next movie. How do you say in English, parachute?